Thank you very much, Caden and Alex. Hey, why don't you turn to the person next to you and just give them a little smile. Good to be in church, isn't it? Give them a smile. Show them your teeth. Little look. Like that. My daughter Zoe, who's with us this morning, said I need to change up the way I introduce myself in church uh, at the start of the service. So, Steve, this is her material. Steve Peach is my name, ministry team leading's my game. <laughs> okay, we'll take that away. We'll assess that, Zoe. We'll do a, a review of that. Great to be here this morning. I became a Christian when I was 15 years old. I had been on a journey for a couple of years, since I was about 13, with a local church, a Baptist church in Melbourne. And they had presented to me and lived out the gospel in front of me for about two years. I was going to youth group. Uh, and I really got an understanding of who God was and who Jesus is in, t- in the context of my life. I then uh, was on, at a school environment, uh, high school, I was at high school at the time, uh, and a guy came into school on a Friday, lunchtime. They had a, a lunchtime program ran every week from this organisation called Youth Dimension. A guy came in and he presented the story again of Jesus and the gospel. Then he came to the church that Sunday night. I didn't normally go to church services at that stage. But I went along on the Sunday night, same guy preached, and as a result of that message, came to faith. Something shifted in me on that day. I had a, a greater understanding of the eternal picture, that there's a God who knows me and loves me. Not long after that, only a few months later, I bought one of these, a Bible. Um, This is God's love story to you and I. Tells the story of God's pursuit of humanity. All the way back to where Mark Vieira was referencing this morning. All the way back to the book of Genesis, in fact. God's love story for me. Bryce spoke on this just a few weeks ago in our Goodness of God series. He talked about how people, those that are created in God's image, you and me, we're the ones that he longs for, the focus of his goodness. People are the objects of God's goodness. That includes you. Not only does he want you to know that he loves you and that you can love him, but he also wants to partner with you to tell his story to humanity. He wants us to work together once we know God through his son Jesus, wants us to work together in telling the story of the gospel to others. See the kingdom built. That's how you're made, it's how you will best operate. When you know God, when you love God and you love others. Took me a long time to understand that really well for myself, get my mind around it. I wonder why that was, I wondered why for a long time. Before I had faith, before I knew Jesus, all I had was my own experience. My own experience to that point told me largely that I was unimportant to God, that I didn't measure up, I was unseen and I was coming up short. 
But finding Jesus and understanding the scriptural story told me a different story. A large part of what the Bible tells you and I is that you are important to God, you're loved. But the question today is, what is the Holy Spirit's role in that? Who is the Holy Spirit and why is he good for you? That's what we're going to talk about today. Let's pray together. Father, we just come before you now. We thank you for the opportunity to be in church, to bring our hearts before you, to share around the table together and to open your word. And now as we do that, we want to understand more clearly what it is that you have for us as we investigate the role of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is and what he has for us and why this is good for us. Just give us insight and hearts that are willing to understand that. We commit ourselves to that end in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to take a bit of time to work through some of the high points of John's Gospel going to whip through there um, and you'll need to have your thumb in a few different spots. The verses will be up on the screen but um, if you've got a Bible with you, John's Gospel is where we need to be. You up for that? Yeah, good, good. John chapter 1. Here's how John starts his Gospel. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, through him all things were made Without him, nothing was made that has been made. I'm going to pause there just for a second to give you another announcement. I got a text message before, during the service. I have to tell you this now. I'll be in trouble if I don't tell you. Um, It came from Adam Penman. You all know Adam. He's our young adults pastor. His wife, Tegan. uh, Katie announced just before they had a baby yesterday, 724 it was, but they hadn't told everybody in the family, the Penman family is quite expansive, hadn't told everybody they needed to tell. But anyway, they've done that now, got this at 8.58, uh, we told everyone who needs to know, you can announce if you want to, that we had a baby girl, second girl, Abigail is her name, Tegan is doing well, they're all at home, they're super excited, Grace is coming to terms with having... <laughs> another human being in the house. Very exciting, very exciting. Congratulations to Adam and Tegan, who I'm sure are watching quietly at home. (laughs) Okay, John chapter 1, back there. Let's go back there. There it is. God is the creator. He's come to life in, for you and I, in the person of, of Jesus, that's in his goodness, he planted himself physically in amongst humanity. Thank you, God, for giving us Jesus, the God-man, the presence of God in the flesh. And he's come to life in his goodness for you and I through the word, living and breathing. Uh, it's not just a book, it's God's word that doesn't return to him void. Good news coming in the context of Jesus, the Son of God, the incarnation, the physical presence of God, and through Scripture, God's Word. After three years, Jesus had completed his ministry task, three years of ministry, that is, at 33 years of age, culminating in his death and his resurrection, then he returned to the Father. But there was a twist to it 
and it was tough if you were present. I want to talk you through it a bit, a little bit. Those that were with, with Jesus were not impressed. They did not like that Jesus was leaving, nor did they like or appreciate the way it was going to happen on the cross. They did not want Jesus to die and they willingly and actively opposed him to his face about it. They were not happy. Matthew 16 says this, Peter took him, Jesus, aside and began to rebuke him. Far be it for for you, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus talking about his death and resurrection to come. In John 13, Peter says to him, Lord, where are you going? Where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Lord, why can't I follow you? I will lay down my life for you. His willingness here to stay the course, not wanting Jesus to go to the cross. John 18, Peter again. We're in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is Jesus' arrest. Peter, who had a sword, drew it and stuck the, uh, struck the high priest's servant's ear, cutting it off. His servant's name, the servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Very clear that the disciples are not happy, all of them, but most visible through the person of Peter. Now, if you go back through John's Gospel, you'll see that Jesus is preparing the disciples for this, but he's also giving them a vivid imagery of what it means for them to partner with God, to be followers of Jesus, in relationship with him, in union. We have all kinds of religious words uh, to describe this picture. Maybe you've studied them, but the heart of what Jesus is talking about is connection and relationship. In John 8, he's having a conversation with a group of religious people who are focused on the relationship with God, primarily through physical and task-based effort. Keeping the law, that's what their relationship looked like. Jesus said this in John 8, to the the Jews who believed in him, he said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Uh, The phrase, um, hold to my teaching in John 8, uh, comes from a root word, meno, which can also be translated as abiding. If you abide in my teaching, You're really my disciples. As a 15-year-old, when I came to faith in Jesus, I had an understanding, a knowledge maybe, a belief. Something had shifted in my head, an intellectual understanding. I repented, I believed, I died to my old way, salvation had come. Then I acquired my Bible, the story of God. Powerful, spiritual book, not just an ordinary book. And I seek now to hold on to these teachings of Jesus, abide in them. But Jesus takes this picture further as he goes through the book of John. He wants people to understand, his disciples to understand, that there's a deeper picture than just intellectually knowing and trying to keep the law. John 15 I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so it will be even more fruitful. 
You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now, that's the first four verses. Verse 5, it's the summary verse. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain, me know, the same word, in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's in the NIV. The second one is the same verse, verse 5, the King James, New King James. The only difference is that it picks up that word abide. Same uh, word as used in John 8. Uh, If you abide, dwell with God, you will be fruitful. You're living that connection and that unity that God is talking about. Same word as uh, chapter 8. Then Jesus makes this statement in the next chapter, John chapter 16, verse 7. This is where our focus of our attention is today. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. This is Jesus speaking. Very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. You go back in your Bible in John's Gospel, back to chapter 14, just a couple of chapters. Jesus tells this going forward. I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. This whole passage in John chapter 14 is Jesus explaining something to the disciples that they don't want to hear and that they don't understand. It's building in them a very real anxiety and stress because they don't have the peace that Jesus is promising at the end of this passage. Verse 21, he says, I'll give you my peace. They don't have it, right? They're with him, they're serving him and they're doing his work, but they don't have the peace that he's promising. And it's creating high anxiety in them because he keeps telling them he's going to do something that they don't want him to do. Peter jumps up every time. Let me solve it. We don't have to do this. I can fix this up for you. Same chapter, verse 8, Philip asks, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. He's trying to gear it back a bit, trying to make it a bit easier. But he doesn't understand that God and Jesus are the same. He's He's a part of the Godhead, part of the Trinity goes on to explain uh, in verse 16, I will ask the Father and he'll give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. God will send the Holy Spirit or what could be just as easily translated or accurately translated as the Spirit of Jesus. But what for? Why is God sending the Holy Spirit? What is Jesus seeking to address here? So he's bringing a solution, right? He's answering the challenges that the disciples are bringing to him. He's bringing a solution, but what is the problem that they're facing? Let me quote a great visionary of our time, the great Henry Ford. You will have heard of him before. 
And if you watch TV from time to time, you will have seen the ad for the new electric Mustang and probably said to your wife, Don, you would have said this, I'm sure, maybe we should think, Lynn, about an electric Mustang. (laughs) And Lynn will have rolled her eyes if your wife is like my wife. In that ad uh, for the new electric Mustang, which we should maybe consider (laughs) as a transport device. In that ad, there are four statements dubbed over uh, the vision that you see. It's Henry Ford speaking from over maybe close to a century ago. Famous quotes of Henry Ford. The fourth one is this. If I'd asked the people what they wanted they'd have said a faster horse. The point is this that Henry Ford is making. He designed and pioneered the invention of the mass-produced affordable vehicle, the Model T Ford. But the people of the time weren't necessarily asking for that. If I'd asked the people what they wanted, he said, they'd have asked for a faster horse. The the disciples aren't here asking Jesus, could your spirit indwell us, please, in deep and powerful ways? Could your spirit enter who we are as people and lead us and guide us, comfort us when challenges come our way and empower us when we need to step out in faith? They're not asking for that. They're not saying, hey, could we have your permanent presence live within me and this person and this person and this person. They're not asking for that. They just wanted Jesus to stay with them physically. We don't want this to change. We're on a good thing here, Jesus. You And us 12, we're doing a pretty good thing. We're getting around, we're seeing some people change their thinking, we're healing some people, we're feeding people. This is good, this is good ministry. Why don't we just keep doing this? Here's a couple of observations of the disciples. Maybe these observations will ring into your story a little bit too. The disciples are yet to fully submit themselves to God. They are yet to fully submit themselves to God. Likewise, in our context, we have a significant challenge. It looks like this. Many people are prepared to make Jesus the Lord of their eternal story. What happens at the end of my life? I'm 49 now. If I'm lucky, I'll get 52, 53, maybe 83, maybe 93, who knows? When I get to the end, I want Jesus to be the Lord of that eternal story. When I cross over, whatever that looks like. But many are not willing to have Jesus the Lord of their immediate story. Today, tomorrow the situations I face in this moment now. The significant challenge for us today, 
because so many of us live lives that are better than we could ever have dreamed of generations ago. We have a propensity to seek to recruit God, the Godhead, to our team in search of the good life with comfort and blessing and happiness and loving people out of our abundance and wanting all of that for our loved ones and our immediate family. We say, God, I want to be a part of your team. I want the end game result and I want you to help me have a great life now. And here's the great life that I'm looking for, please. The danger, the significant danger, which is culturally destabilising the Western church at the moment, is that if God doesn't agree to that plan, the target that I've set for him, right, if he doesn't sign off on that, we walk away. Or we suggest he doesn't exist. Maybe that he doesn't care, or that he's not truthful, or he can't be trusted, or that he's not good. That's where we get to when God doesn't do what we ask him to do. We saw this in the life of the disciples. We mentioned these things earlier. Peter pulls Jesus aside and rebukes him. Lord, have you had a couple of late nights? We need to talk. I think the plan's off, off target here. I want you to change it. Peter, denying that he will give up Jesus in the courtyard. Jesus says, you will deny me. No, I won't. We're in the garden. Peter pulls his sword. What's he even got a sword for anyway? Lopping ears off. And then Jesus makes that statement in John chapter 14, identifying that these guys are living a life where there is high anxiety, a lack of peace, a lack of comfort and uh, you know, internal sense that God has got things under control. That's where chapter 14 ends. They're displaying an absence of the focus on things that God would have them focus on, even though they are with Jesus. Can you get this picture? They are going against the work of the kingdom while they walk alongside Jesus. They know him personally. They think they're going to die in the storm when Jesus is asleep in the boat. They're arguing with each other about who's greater, who's the best disciple. They're having a barney about who is going to have the place of honour when we get to the kingdom. And notably, they're living without this sense of internal peace. They really don't look all that different to the people around them. Then we get to this phrase, John 16, verse 7. Very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away, says Jesus. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. The reason the advocate has to come to you and I is because the Christian life is a call to follow. It involves laying down our own desires, 
our own dreams, our own wants, and to take up our cross. Luke 9 says, If anyone would come after me, Jesus speaking, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. It's daily because a habit of our own nature is to pursue personal happiness and comfort. But following Jesus is a life of sacrifice, focused on the earthly needs and the eternal needs of other people. To do that faithfully, and more importantly, fruitfully, you and I need the Spirit of God, the presence of God dwelling within us. The Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, as our constant living companion. We're promised that when you receive Christ as your Lord and Saviour, the Spirit of God comes into you. But it's not as easy to live out with the imperfections that we carry. The Spirit will comfort you, guide you, counsel you, encourage you as you move along life's path, the journey, the challenges you face. Uh, Pastor Pip is going to talk us through that next week, this aspect of living in a fallen place, in a fallen world, where we are called to sacrifice and serve others. How does the Spirit of God care for us and guide us and lead us and be our constant companion in that space? We're going to talk about that next week. 1 Corinthians 6 says this um, passage here, it says this in verse 19. Do you, know, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, you were bought at a price. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus, the third person of the Trinity, dwells within you. When you surrender your life to him, he comes into you and that is the journey beginning. But there's another piece that's as equally important. Acts chapter 3. Come out of John's Gospel, turn right, we're heading for Acts. Acts chapter 3. Peter and the disciples are waiting under instruction from Jesus for the Holy Spirit to arrive. I'm not sure how that's going to look, they're just waiting. It's the promised one of John chapter 16. The the Spirit comes in Acts 2 at Pentecost. It's amazing. Read chapter 2 of the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit arrives. Then Peter preaches an amazing message, we think, because of its result. The message uh, that identifies uh, in uh, chapter 2, 41, going forward, about 3,000 people were added to the number, that many converts that day. So we say that must be an amazing sermon. Peter must be a great preacher, an outstanding preacher. Now, when you do the research on this, theologians will tell you, actually, in the way we construct sermons and we think about how people take information in, Peter wasn't a great preacher. He was missing it plenty of places. There were gaps all over the place. Yet 3,000 people responded that day. As far as we know, Jesus never preached a message that had 3,000 people respond at one time. Now, you can't sit there and tell me Peter's a better preacher than Jesus. Goodness. Particularly, this is like his first message out as an apostle, like an intern. 
When Jesus says you will do greater things than me, maybe this is a part of that picture. The Spirit of God is doing something here, working through Peter. In chapter 3 of the book of Acts, we see Peter heal a lame guy. It's just outside the Jerusalem temple gate. Peter's on his way there for some prayers. He preaches again, chapter 3, just outside the temple. It's a clear message of the gospel and Jesus' role. Repentance is required. Put your trust in Jesus. He's resurrected. Start of chapter 4. The captain of the temple guard comes out with the Sadducees where Peter's preaching. Confrontation takes place. Peter preaches the gospel again while these guys are in front of him. Talks about the resurrection again. He and John are arrested, hauled off. They eventually release them because there were so many people in support of Peter and John. Remember, 3,000 had come to faith. And the guy who's lame is healed. It's a tough case to make in court, so they let him go. Then both go, Peter and John. They go back to the other Christians. They tell the story and discuss the opposition that they faced in that moment. How are they going to respond? What are they going to say? What are they going to do? What kind of things are they going to pray as a result of that encounter? First cab off the rank in your new role. Huge response. Oh, and I got arrested. Acts chapter 4, verse 29 to 31. This is their prayer. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and worked, uh, and, and, and the word of God, uh, sorry, filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Here's what I want us to note about this part of the passage as we close this morning. The disciples here are only weeks ago, six, eight, ten weeks ago, proclaiming significant and specific difficulty with the Jesus plan. I am not happy with your plan, Jesus. I'm going to rebuke you and I'm going to attack anybody who tries to activate it. I'm not happy with your plan. They're resisting him, they're cutting ears off and more importantly than that, They are petrified, they're afraid, they're thinking of themselves and they're living with an absence of inner peace. What Jesus promises those who follow him, they don't have it. Then here, just weeks later, they're under serious persecution, lives in danger, But there are no prayers here for happiness or comfort or pleasurable experiences, ocean cruises, etc. Not even for the removal of their enemies or protection from the difficulty. Their prayer is this. They pray in verse 29 for boldness as they speak. And verse 30, that the presence of God would be seen 
and evidenced. As they finish praying, these two things come to pass. So here's the challenge for you and I as we embark on this part of the journey. The goodness of God we've seen in the Old Testament pointing forward to something, to someone. Then the goodness of God in the New Testament lived out in full colour in the person of Jesus. Death and resurrection. And now it's good for you that he goes because the advocate has come. Dwells within you. Changes everything. Not some things, not just your eternal destiny, not just the things that are spiritual, changes everything. Here's a challenge. How much of the disciples' experience pre-acts, so that sense of, Jesus, you've got it wrong, I'm going to tell you off, I'm going to fight the plan, how much of that is your story? Lived out now. Anxiety, stress, lack of peace. I'm with Jesus, but I don't have the stuff that he's promised. How much of that is your story? Be honest with yourself about that. Secondly, as a follower of Jesus, how much of your journey is lived in that deep abiding space that Jesus was talking about in John 15? A a place that's moved from your head, your intellect, Right? Away from just knowing and away from even just reading and understanding and analysing to actually abiding, being connected and in relationship. That's what it means. Abide, being attached to the vine. How much of that deep abiding is happening in your world, in your walk? And then thirdly, how real and evident, undeniable is the experience that Jesus promised as he talked about the disciples that they lived out in Acts chapter 4? That's a difficult question. I don't even think I can understand what I just said. How much of that Acts 4 experience is your story? Boldness. Rather than praying, God, protect me, he's got your back. Boldness about what he's calling you to do. How much of that lives out in your story. That's maybe a better way to put it. This combination of peace and counsellor and comfort and care that the Holy Spirit provides to us as we go through life's challenges and then the boldness and the courage that he calls us to as we partner in the journey with him of telling the story of the gospel. John 16 verse 7, very truly I tell you, It is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. Let me pray and the worship team will come and lead us in our final song. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful that we know you personally, that we understand through scripture your story which is pointed to us, the ones that are created in your image, the ones that you love. We thank you for Jesus who reconciled us, paid the price, stood in the gap, enabled life to take place again, his death once for all. 
And we thank you for your spirit that now powers the machine of who we are, that you dwell within us in the third person of the Trinity, comforting and guiding and encouraging and emboldening and giving us courage as we tell your story. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.